Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm Andrew Brandt, your host, musical producer. Music coming to you from my son, Sam Brandt. We're produced by Brian Neal. This is a Brandt's Rants edition followed by a special guest. So we have a bunch of stuff going on in this week's podcast. I'm going to rant a little bit. You're all reading about the NFLPA opposing all these voluntary workouts like they did last year, which was obviously... Everything was off-site because of COVID, and as the world comes back this year, same issues. I'll talk about that in a minute, and I'll talk about this vaccine issue again in terms of required vaccinations. I think it's going to be an interesting one. Before we get to our special guest, where we're going to talk about, you you know it, Hideki Matsuyama Marketing. Uh, I want to talk about that because I was just inundated with questions about this after he won the Masters on Sunday is it going to be tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions, multi-billions, trillions in marketing for Matsuyama in Japan and around the world? So we'll get to that. First, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. We're in the last month of playoffs for basketball. It is going to be interesting. You got some locks. You got others trying to play in. But DraftKings is right there. All you can have to do is to turn $1 into $100 is pick any team, any team to win their next game. And if during that game, your team of your choosing hits a three, you bring home $100 in free bets. That's 100 to one odds on your team of your choosing hitting a three. They don't even need to win. Just hit a three. So download the top-ranked DraftKings app now and use promo code ROSS, R-O-S-S, when you sign up. Turn $1 into $100 in free bets. If the team of your choosing hits a three, that's it. That's code ROSS, R-O-S-S. Turn $1 into $100. In free bets for a limited time only, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Okay, my first rant is about the National Football League Players Association has made it a huge priority this offseason to have teams stay away. So... It's a little bit unlike last year in that teams are gearing up to have off-season workouts. Now, it's not going to be soon because you may know the NFL has these phases now of the off-season. Phase one is going to be virtual and mental and learning and all that. And phase two, just a little bit of on-field. And then phase three from May something, May 20 something through the mid-June is going to be the on-field workout. So I think that's what the NFL PA is really uh, up in arms about, hey, look, we had a great season last year after not being in the facility, not even having preseason games, not having any training camp. We had a great time last year. Why are we doing this? And we had fewer injuries last year. So all the things you worried about. So this is J.C. Treader and the PA talking about. But the question is, can they do this? Now, we at this moment, we've had the Seahawks, the Broncos, the Patriots, and the Tampa Bay World Champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, say, yeah, basically we're not going in. Now, again, <laughs> these are off-season workouts that are voluntary. And you have a couple issues with the money, and that's what I want to talk about here. Number one, they're off-season workout bonuses. Now, workout bonuses are negotiated into contracts that if you participate in a certain requirement of workout sessions, usually it's 85 or 90%, depending on the team, At the Packers, I wrote it in, I believe, 85%. So if you're at 85% of the workouts, you get your bonus. 
What are the bonuses? Well, they can be as low as five, ten thousand dollars and as high as millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars is probably the highest. And the highest team collective bonus amount for offseason workouts is my Green Bay Packers. And yes, you can blame this talker for that, because when I got there, no one was staying around Green Bay for offseason workouts. Everyone was staying wherever they were, Florida, Georgia, Texas, California, to do their workouts. Why would they come to Green Bay in the spring where it was still cold and do that? And when Mark McCarthy came in, he said, we got to get some accountability and availability with these guys. You got to get them here. And it was a slog. I basically, whenever a contract came up, I had to change it. If they're going to make a million dollars, I'd take out a hundred thousand. You're making $900,000 and we're going to give you the other hundred thousand and a workout bonus. And you'd sell it to them with the fact that, Hey, you get your money now in the spring instead of waiting for the fall. Isn't that good? And usually you'd get along, but you always get the fight. The player wants to send in his workouts from Texas or Florida or California, wherever he is, and not have to be in Green Bay. And that was not good enough. I realized we were a geographically undesirable place, but I wanted to make it work. And we did. It was a slog. But over a few years, we got all the veteran contracts with these workout bonuses. And now it's $5 million that the Packers owe for these workout bonuses. Are those guys going to skip the workouts? No. And then there's a report the NFLPA is not going to be hard ass on the teams that have these large workout bonuses. The second part is the per diems. The young players get $235 or $250 a day and maybe even higher than that for working out. As long as they do a minimum of four workouts a week, they can't just get $235 for one day then leave. So that is not big money at any stars, but it's meaningful money to some of these marginal on the fringe players. So that's something that's going to be a fight. We'll see what happens with these workouts. Uh, I think already I saw Brandon McManus of the Denver Broncos saying, yeah, we got to rethink this. We didn't know it was coming into phases. We're not really on the field till May, mid-May, late May. So let's see where this goes. But it's interesting to watch. A team like the Packers, good luck keeping all these guys off from getting their huge workout bonuses. Other teams don't do workout bonuses. I had to do it. I thought it was important. If you're in Florida, Texas team, you probably don't have to do it. They're going to be there anyway. And maybe now they won't be there because of this fight going on. Okay. I guess my final comment on that is, you know, I've been critical of the CBA. I wish the NFLPA fought the 17th game as hard as they're fighting offseason workouts. That's my comment there. And other concessions, like a 10-year CBA, like giving up the, the recent revenue split, only getting to 48% over the 11-year period. So anyway, <laughs> they've chosen this battle, this hill to die on, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, my other rant is about vaccinations. And it's just a news item I saw the Buffalo Bills requiring vaccinations. This, I think, is going to be an interesting thing to follow. Because first of all, can you do it? What are the legalities? There will be lawyers. People want to go to games that aren't vaccinated. They're trying to get vaccinated or maybe they don't want to get vaccinated. How do you approach that? And what is going to be the proof? What is going to be? You can't just get a card. You can get those cards on eBay and fill them out. So it's got to be some kind of electronic passport that you've been vaccinated through health systems. Uh, It's going to be an interesting fight because as soon as you tell people they have to be vaccinated to do anything, to go to a game, to get on a flight, to do to, to something they feel like they have a liberty to do with or without a vaccination. You have the anti-vaxxers. It's going to be a problem. And I, you know, my saying there will be lawyers. 
I think this is something to watch. The Buffalo Bills and I believe the Sabres as well in Buffalo saying we're going to do this. And I'm thinking, well, maybe you won't <laughs> because there will be lawyers and we'll see where this goes. But we are at a precious time in this country where we have max mass vaccinations going on. Some people are still against it. Uh, we're changing the tide, hopefully, on this COVID virus, where we have a different attitude towards work, towards education, and of course, towards sports. We'll see. I mean, you know, the owners, they want the fans in the seats. They want to make their revenues. They want a full stadium like they're, you know, baseball in Texas. So we'll see where this goes. Okay, before we get to our special guest, uh, a word from our other sponsor this week, and it's LinkedIn. LinkedIn Talent Solutions. You know, small businesses have always shown an ability to adapt, to innovate, survive even more in this COVID year. Here's another way you can adapt and grow and find the right people to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs. So you post your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. You fill out the target screening questions, get your role in front of the most qualified candidates, experience, skills, motivation you need. Then with all that filtering and management tools, you can review, rate, and hone in on your top candidates, the best way to find the right person. So LinkedIn Jobs can help you find that right person for your role. And your first job post is free. Okay, so just visit linkedin.com slash BOS. Again, that's linkedin.com slash BOS. Post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We want to have a special guest to talk about the great masters the other day. We have a champion from Japan. Hideki Matsuyama It was a little closer than it appeared about an hour before the end. Uh, but then he pulled away again. And I think everyone out there is just kind of like smiling, like, wow, this is great. New, new country, new winner, a new hero in golf. And I wanted to get someone on to talk about what it means for him, for Japan, for marketing, etc. Saw an article in Forbes magazine, and lo and behold, it's a colleague of mine at Villanova University, where I'm in the law school, who's in the business school. Uh, welcome, Ray Taylor, to the program. Ray, good to have you, my colleague, and now my colleague on the podcast. Uh, really, really pleasure to be here with you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I saw your article, and I want to sort of pick up on what your initial impressions were watching it from a marketing point of view, from a business point of view, when you saw the historic win by Matsuyama on Sunday. What were your initial thoughts? Yeah, you know, first off, at a personal level, I was happy for him because clearly, you know, he had the weight of a whole country you know, on him. So it's a remarkable breakthrough. Um, but but also, I think he really has the potential to make a lot of money in sponsorships. And some other people, um, Andy North on ESPN said he thought it was worth a billion, you know, a billion dollars. Some other experts have said that he'll make 600 million over his career. And I, I really think they're right um, in this case for a number of reasons. Yeah, I mean, that was my question, sort of, I was hearing tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions, 600 million. And so when you say that you think they're right, what jumps out at you category-wise and market-wise? And is anybody at that level save Tiger Woods at this point? Yeah, well, the, you know, histo historically, the giant endorsers can make, you know, on the order of a hundred million a year, like Cristiano Ronaldo has done that. Um, Federer, 
was the leader last year. Tiger Woods was up above that until he lost some endorsements and is at about 60 million. Um, looked it up, and I think Mick Mickelson did 40 million last year. McElroy, 30 million. Matsuyama already was doing about 8 to 10 million um, in endorsements, but I think this win is going to raise his visibility so much that he's going to get lots, lots more offers, both in Japan and I also think global brands are really smart to bring him on. So give us some examples. Now, we watched him with this, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, Srixon uh, hat and bag and shirt and bag. Uh, what would be a value of that deal before and after? And we can go to some bigger brands too. You know, with with Srixon, he's he's probably, you know, making a million a year or something on that order, a million or two a year. Um, but Srixon... Um, you know, they're affiliated with Dunlop and they're not, they're not Nike or, a, you know, or Adidas or the, of course, Nike's no longer making clubs either, but I'm not sure whether Srixon's contract would, would have a conflict built in with uh, Hideki signing um, with Nike, but Nike would be wise to sign him. They've got about 30 golfers um, in their lineup and they don't have, they don't have anybody you know, from J from Japan, and there's a couple. Um, there's an Indian golfer that they have, and like they've got Michelle Wee or you know Jason Day, but not you know not anybody that's truly East Asian. It's kind of like a hole in Nike's lineup, so they should consider it. And of course, Adidas has like a real all-star cast um, of endorsers too. You know, Dustin Dustin Johnson for one, and a bunch of other. Um, really high-profile golfers are in their stable. So if he could, it, it would really make sense for one of those companies to sign him right off the bat. And and a deal, take us through sort of the golfer. You've got the endemic deals, right? The bag, mm -hmm. the balls, the shoes, the hat, the, the shirt. You know, in my limited understanding of this, when like when a Nike buys Tiger Woods, it's head to toe, right? And there's no patches. There's no other, you know, other things on the hat, on the sleeves. Is that kind of the ultimate, you know, for for an athlete like a golfer to get the, the head to toe and they buy it all? So you can't put yourself out for sale with your sleeves or your hat or things like that. Yeah. You know, Andrew, it gets, it gets negotiated, you know, contractually and, you know, a con if, if if Matsuyama were to sign a contract like that, I mean, it should be um, it should be worth a lot. But it's not un you know it's not uncommon. Um, you know, Tiger Woods. Um, you know, he used to do Gillette. He did uh, he did Buick. He's done Rolex. You know, and se and several others. So I, I personally think the sweet spot for these megastars is something like six or eight endorsements across different categories. But I do think with apparel companies, this is where you can get, you know, like a mother load type of contract that's really big and, and really lucrative, as you're suggesting. So how would it work? And, you know, I used to represent players, but I've never had a player like this. He's got existing contracts, mm -hmm. right? So would they... Two-part question. One, would they have incentive clauses if he wins a major, the, the money goes way up, things like that. And what about outs? 
you know, if he's locked into some deal now for three more years where he's a completely different level of a superstar now, how does that work? Yeah, you know, depending on the length of the contract, he he likely is going to be in a good position to renegotiate. And I do think his setup is his setup is pretty good. The one that maybe if he you already brought up uh, the the Strick's on, but he's he's already endorsing Lexus, which is really probably a really good fit for him. Um, and he's also endorsing Nomura Financial, which is a big you know, financial holding company, which is also very appropriate for a golfer. And if, if if he and his representatives were smart, they didn't sign, you know, like a lifetime deal or something that long-term, you know, no different, you know, I know you've, you've been right in the heart of this, Andrew, it's not much diff- different than an NFL player, you know, trying to, you know, renegotiating a contract if they're in their position and the sponsor wants them for longer, you know, they're going to have a good chance to be able to do that. So you mentioned Srixon, you mentioned Nomura. Do you know more about his present portfolio? I think, I think the only other significant endorsement he has is with Oakley, you know, he'll wear their sun, you know, their sunglasses, but he's not, um, he doesn't have the litany of endorsements that a Rory McIlroy or a Tiger Woods or even a, jo- a Dustin Johnson um, would have at this point. So I think this is going to open the door um, to more different product categories and possibilities. And what is, and, and this is an obvious question, but I just want to have hear you articulate it. What is it about being a Japanese player that makes him so attractive? Or, or as you said, East Asian? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think the, you know, Japan is Japan. Japan is a golf crazy country, and historically, it's really been a status symbol. Um, you know, to golf in Japan, there's there's not as much land in Japan, and it's you know, it's not like when I was a kid here in the United States, and you know, back in, back in the day, for five bucks, you could go golf nine holes at a course you could walk to, or something like that. Um, this is a more expensive and prestigious sport in Japan. Per capita, my understanding is that there's more courses than anywhere except the United States. And, and, and in addition, it's just a, it's the world's third largest economy after the U.S. and China. So to global firms, this is hugely attractive given the need to have, you know, a company like Nike, for example, needs a global presence. And it should have a presence um, in Japan and with some worldwide celebrities um, as well. Does the, does the you know the female tour the LPGA has a lot of top players from South Korea, but the average fan doesn't know them. Um, I guess what makes this different, other than PGA is a lot more followed. Yeah, it's it's a good question. One thing I will say, Andrew, I do spend a good bit of time in in Seoul for a long time. I, yeah. I would teach a summer class in Korea University, and the Koreans know about those about those female, you know players, and there's endorsements over there. That's kind of a separate issue, um, you know. I think for the LPGA tour, uh, from the U.S. viewpoint, um, the LG, LPGA probably would be in a better position if Michelle Wee, you know, a prominent American player, was winning more tournaments 
and and was more prominent. There may be some other marketing issues there. Um, but with you know with Matsuyama, the attention that the masters gather gained worldwide, and the fact that he's the first Japanese player um, to do this, and now we've got the the Tokyo Olympics coming up as well, and apparently he's thinking about you know playing that. There's just a lot of isolated attention um, on him, and there's a uniqueness. And from everything I'm hearing about his personality, he's kind of a quiet and unassuming guy. And I think his persona, um, you know, I was certainly happy, um, you know, to see him win just watching as a casual um, yeah. American fan and hearing a little bit about, you know, like he drives a minivan and right. things like this. Yeah. Yeah, and the pictures, I don't know if you saw him on the early the morning after at the little airport in Augusta, catching his uh, connector to Chicago there. He was carrying a backpack, kind of hunched over on the uh, on the little seats. Yeah. No, he has the everyman approach. I mean, I guess the, the, the fact he doesn't speak English, is that going to deter anyone? It, I, I think it could, it, it, it surely can limit the, his upside yeah, U.S. market with companies that most of their base is in the U.S. But something else I'd I'd say, Andrew, the you know something that golfers haven't historically done as many endorsements on our luxury brands. There, there's exceptions like with Tiger Wood and Rolex, um, but luxury goods. It, it's it's interesting in the global market. Many of these top luxury brands, the you know the the ones that we Americans find hard to pronounce with, you know, like Givenchy or Gucci um, or Louis Vuitton or something like that. A lot of them do more than half of their sales in Asia. Um, and, you know, Matsuyama for the right brand for a men's type of product. I know um, Maria Sharapova has had a successful Tiffany's, you know, contract, but something more on the luxury side or, or travel side, I think he'd be a, you know, he'd be a great endorser for, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if we saw that Tiger Woods already has Rolex, which would be a great example, but maybe another luxury watch. Yeah. I mean, luxury watch, you think of Federer, you think of Tiger, yes, to be someone like that. I guess to bring it full circle where we started that those figures that people jump on, like I'm jumping on right now, that's 600 million to a billion figure. You think that's realistic? Yeah. Well, the, you know, do we have to remember, um, Andrew, that, you know, the top golfers who are endorsers really do appear to have longer lifespans. You know, Arnold Palmer was a popular endorser until the day he died. Um, but it was heart, you know, it was heartwarming for me having watched, you know, having been a kid when Gary Player and Jack Nicholas were at their peaks, you know, watching them tee off at the Masters. And they're still, they remain popular with the generation that grew up with them. And I think golf is a sport um, where history matters a great deal. And it's not, you know, I know history matters in baseball a great deal, but there's more teams and, and more players. So we, you know, so we get the Nicholases and the players and the Palmers being popular endorsers into their 60s, 70s, and and even later. Um, so I think they're, you know, we, we're talking, you know, Hideki's only 29. So, you know, we're talking a 30, 40 or more year 
you know, time horizon. And, you know, even if he's making 20 million a year, I, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think Andy North's mil, billion dollar forecast yeah. was, was at all out of the question. It's, it's, it's possible. He, he wins a couple more majors and it could even be more than that. Yeah. If he, yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, it's been fascinating. And I don't, I'd be remiss if I'd, if I let you go without talking about another issue uh, in Asia that's coming up. So we have the Tokyo Olympics, which uh, was postponed last year, will be happening this year with no foreign visitors. But I want to talk about the 2022 Olympics scheduled for Beijing and the issue of boycott. It's already come up. And obviously with some rights abuses over there, it will come up again. Um, you know, my personal opinion is always one, that how hard it would be for the athletes uh, to, to train as they do for this one moment in the sun to that be pulled the rug pulled out from them. But I want to get your view as an expert on this about 2022 in Beijing and give you an open canvas to talk about that. Yeah. I, I, keep, keep an eye on this one because we're seeing, we're seeing more calls um, from all over the political spectrum, Mitt Romney has written, written an editorial. The Washington Post editorial board came out saying that the the corporate sponsors um, should pull out of the Olympics. And you know, if the if the corporate sponsors pull out of the Olympics, I don't really see how they're still in, or we don't send a team as well. I don't see how there really is an Olympics um, left. But on, on one hand, I want to make clear up front that the atrocities being talked about in China, everybody should pay serious attention to. And the U.S. State Department is is saying that people are being you know, wrongfully imprisoned, um, are being forced to give up their culture. In some cases, um, there's reports that they're being killed there. So it's a very serious matter. Um, that said, in the end, when I look at the when I look at whether or not a boycott of the Olympics would make a difference in that situation, I fall out on the side that uh, um, that it wouldn't you know it wouldn't be a good thing to boycott the Olympics. So I'll, I'll, I want to mention with the Moscow Olympics in 1980 being boycotted. You know, Jimmy Carter was behind that at the time. I don't think anybody believes that that changed Soviet behavior one way, one iota. What it did is led to U.S. athletes who, as you mentioned, had poured their heart and soul into training for years. And back then, these were amateur, you know, they yeah. were real amateurs. And then in 1984, the L.A. Olympics was great, but we didn't have all of the best athletes in the world there. Um, and, and in fact, the, this continued Every, every Olympics that comes up, there's somebody that wants boycotts for some reason or another. It can be a little bit, you know, less serious than this. But um, in Europe, a lot of people wanted, you didn't want McDonald's to sponsor it because they're marketers of junk food in the opinion of those people. So we, we get attention like this in every Olympics. But basically... Um, this would really, you know, this really would hurt the athletes, but the damage on U.S. companies that have invested in the Chinese market for decades and decades and have been tried, had tried to be sensitive to Chinese culture. And then something else I need to say, Andrew, too, you know, having spent some time in China, 
Um, political conflict is a terrible thing, and I'm in no way downplaying what's going on over there. But a lot, the, there are many, many good Chinese people. And, you know, these stereotypes that originate when some of this gets in the news and we've all seen, you know, some not so good things going on with, you know, with Asian hate in the United States. I don't like to see this either. Um, but, you know, N NBC will also be badly hurt by this. You know, the, the, the um, as you probably know, the Super Bowl draws about 100 million viewers um, in, you know, in recent years. There's, there's no other events left that bring Americans together with this level of viewership. The, the 18 days of the, of the Olympics, I think, will bring about 350 million viewers um, to NBC, um, who paid $7.75 billion for six Olympics. And why, why is NBC willing to do this? Well, it, you know, it really builds their brand equity as a sports network, for one, but as we all know, they also use it as a platform to launch new shows, to win the ratings battle, um, you know, for the for the quarter. Um, it even boosts the Today Show and and their late night show, you know, because they involve those people in in interviewing the Olympics. So really, um, re would really be hard on NBC and NBC simultaneously is being lauded for balanced coverage of what's going on, um, uh, you know, in the north, in the north of China. And um, I'd also say, Andrew, too, the, you know, if we think back to 2008 in the summer Beijing Olympics, Coke was really lauded when they spent $400 million. I still talk about this to my international marketing classes. Um, when, when, you know, this was like Beijing, um, post, you know, Deng Xiaoping was the was the president that created the special economic zones and opened communist China up for trade. So for China, 2008 was like coming, coming, finally getting invited to the world's big party, you know, the Olympics. And Koch sent congratulatory um, messages to Beijing, you know, to Chinese officials, ran billboards congratulating the Chinese people. But invested four hundred million dollars in that in those games, a lot of it advertising, convincing the Chinese who, who historically are bigger on warm drinks than cold drinks right. that Coca Cola was a good brand um, to buy. So Coke's, you know, Coke and Pepsi as well have been spending. It's point I want to make is China is the world's second largest market, and it's it's a huge market, and it's. The population is a lot bigger than the United States, but it's going to become the number one market in the world at some point. And it's a real hard, in spite of being so big, it's really hard to compete in. And these American companies that have tried to be sensitive to global cultures, this would, one thing to make no mistake about, um, and there's precedent for it, if, if you tick off the Chinese government and people, they will boycott you. Hmm. You know, well, we learned that with the NBA, right? Yeah. We learned that a year ago with the NBA. Yeah, just just based on one official's, you know, comment, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. not even, not not even a public statement by you know, you know, by David Stern or something like this. But there's a couple companies, including H and M, that have been 
boycotted and essentially thrown out of China. You know, celebrities in China get behind these boycotts. And we're in the U.S. Um, it's tricky territory for companies. And I, in general, um, I prefer to see companies take stands on more unifying issues than divisive issues. But there's a different, you know, boycotts in the United States are difficult to execute. The, the, the average person, um, you know, we live our lives and, you know, we want to go to the beach on the weekends and, uh, you know what I mean, and have a high quality of life. So not everybody's reading the newspaper right. a minute of every day and making their purchase decisions based on following that news. But in China, they will, they will react negatively. And like if Coca, you know, if Coca-Cola or GE or M&M Mars um, pulls out, you're not going to be seeing, seeing uh, you know, Diet Coke or Snickers or G Electronics sold in any significant number in China anymore. There will be um, there will be retaliation. So the you know, so the stakes are very high, and it, it's it's interesting, Andrew, because Airbnb is really in a tricky situation because human rights activists are saying, well, it takes stands on some social issues, but not others. So companies generally get into risky territory when they, I like to see companies monitor public opinion and focus on issues that at least most people in their target audience are good with or, or agree with. But I think in China, this just, this just goes to another level because of how, serious the retaliation is and it's not necessarily just the chinese government you know getting in the way of the companies the chinese people um you know i've seen quotes like uh, you know towards foreign firms like they want to eat chinese food while they're breaking chinese bowls or you know these types of expressions yeah i mean everything you're saying it, it you really outline how tricky all this is and you know, we've talked on this program a lot over the past five years about politics and sports, you know, as much as we want to separate them and have sports be the, the relief and the comic relief and the funny pages compared to the real news, they're intertwined, they're intermixed, not only with Kaepernick and kneeling and athlete activism, but even from the league side, as we've seen, like we just talked about with China and this week with the All-Star game pulling out of Atlanta uh, for baseball. So it's happening. It's there. And I just think we both agree. We hope it doesn't reach the point that the athletes are the real casualties in 2022, along with NBC and along with other sponsors. But I feel for the athletes. I mean, and hope it doesn't reach that point. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more, Andrew. And when you think about it, there's if, if there really was a pullout of the sponsors from the Olympics, this, I mean, this could threaten the Olympics as we know it. Yes, totally. You know, and, um, and it's a wonderful event, you know, dating back to ancient Greece, <laughs> it was designed to, you know, it was designed to unify, you know, unify countries. And I don't think necessarily put politics aside, but, you know, deep down, I just believe there's better mechanisms, um, you know, in international politics in particular, um, you know, for trying to, you know, trying to make inroads on some of these issues, then threatening not to go to, you know, not to send a team to the Olympics or, um, but it's, it, it, it's terrible for the sponsors because like yeah. Coca-Cola, 
you know, and coming out with a strong stance on voting rights, they're easy. They're an easy target now for international human rights advocates, you know, saying, why are you so eager to make a statement on that, but not on, um, you know, not on minorities getting killed in China. Exactly. Well, Ray, this has been great. You know, these, this has been a, a unique podcast on a couple of, uh, Stories from the Far East, one a feel-good story. Mm-hmm. About <laughs> and you made a good case that we could be approaching that billion-dollar figure with all the longevity he'll have in his career. And then, of course, the more serious topic of Beijing, which we'll revisit as we get closer and mm-hmm. we'll bring you back. Mm-hmm. John Murphy, professor of marketing at my school. We're colleagues, Villanova University. Great to have you, Ray. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, got to make one parting remark. Go Cats. Go Cats. Really interesting stuff. These two issues from the Far East, the feel-good issue with Matsuyama, and of course, the Beijing Olympics, much more serious issue. We'll have Ray back as we get closer to that. Ray Taylor from Villanova University, professor of marketing there. That was really interesting. And thanks for being with us on this week's edition of Business Sports. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt. If you're not getting the newsletter, please do. You sign up at andrew-brandt.com. Comes to your inbox every Sunday morning by Sunday 7. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal, to my music producer, Sam Brand. Follow us. I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts, rankings, and comments. Always appreciate it. And I'll see you next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand.